The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Have you lost a loved one recently? Do you find it hard to move on with your life? There are lots of questions and a quest for a solution. Where do you start? Welcome to From Morning to Morning with your host, Rabbi Mel Glazer. Rabbi Mel and his guests are here to guide you through the different stages of grief and help you heal from your loss. You'll come away with a much better understanding of how you can move forward. Now, here's Rabbi Mel. Well, hello, my friends. It's, we're back. From morning to morning, uh, in the words of our guest last week, Sean Doyle, the name of his book, The Sun Rises Tomorrow. No matter what happens today, the sun is going to rise tomorrow, and no matter how you feel today, you always have the potential and the possibility of feeling better tomorrow, of healing from your loss. The topic tonight is divorce. And in the introduction, I said that divorce is a death. Well, in my um, book that I've written called A GPS for Grief and Healing, parentheses available on Kindle.com, thank you very much, close parentheses, I give some examples of losses without death. We've been talking about the death of a person, but there are other kinds of losses. Divorce is one of them. Um, There are others. I have some material in here called When You Get Fired. That's a loss, but nobody died, but part of you did. And then that's followed by some material on when you lose a pet. And we've talked about that a lot already because pets are members of our families. Uh, Even though they're not human beings, they are members of our families. So tonight I want to talk about breakup of relationships, the strongest of which, of course, is a divorce. While some relationships end in part, I'm going to read a little bit from my book. While some relationships end in part because neither of the people involved are in love anymore, quite often when a relationship ends, one or both of the people are still very much in love. When your relationship is over, but your love continues... You're not just mourning the end of a relationship, you're also nursing a broken heart. And a broken heart is no small matter. In many ways, 
Your grief process is no different than if your beloved had died. That's because this is a kind of death. The death of a relationship with someone you love. And that is a profound loss. And everybody out there that's listening to me knows the truth of that profound loss. It may even take you as long to heal from this grief as it would take you to heal from mourning a death. Because when a relationship is over, when you lose your boyfriend or your girlfriend, or there's a divorce, it is a death. I don't know if we'll ever get over those we love. We just eventually make peace with having lost them. And that is true whether they're alive or not. Do you get over the loss? Eventually, yes, you do. Do you get over them forever? Of course not. And that's because we don't stop caring about people just because they're gone. Who can forget their first date, first kiss, first true love? Not me and not you. It is so natural to remember them, even though they left us and moved on. Still, it hurts to remember. During your grief process, you'll deal with the same issues as when someone, a person, dies. And you'll deal with one more. Rejection and its blow to your self-worth and confidence. See, your beloved dying is not a rejection of you. They simply died. But unlike your beloved dying on you, your beloved breaking up with you or divorcing you is a rejection of you. And that's because you feel rejected, whether your beloved intended for you to feel that way or not. Rejection often leads people to question nearly everything about themselves. Their appearance, their personality, their intelligence, their emotional and psychological fitness to be in a relationship, their financial status that we're going to talk about a little bit later on when we talk about divorce, you name it. If you didn't want the relationship to end, you may still carry a torch and hope that one day you'll be reunited. That aspect of the mourning can make the whole process more difficult than mourning a loved one who died. We know that the dead are not coming back. We can't be quite sure about the living. So part of you thinks that you don't have to get over him yet because he's coming back, or might come back one day. I felt that way, and so have you. My girlfriend left me for the high school quarterback, and I thought to myself, how could she be so stupid? I'm much nicer, I'm much more caring. I loved her much more than he did. All he was was the high school quarterback, the school quarterback. I, on the other hand, was an intelligent student who spoke the right words and cared very much about her. So I thought that 
Even though she left, I always hoped that we'd be reunited. That aspect of the mourning can make the whole process more difficult than mourning a loved one who died. So part of you thinks you don't have to get over him because he's coming back or might come back. When you're mourning someone who's alive, you lack the incentive to move on, to recover from your grief. Why? You think you won't have to accept that it's completely over. So you don't. You don't need to begin, begin the grief process because you think he or she is going to realize the error of their ways and come back. You have emotional unfinished business and you can carry that torch for a very long time. Some people carry it for the rest of their lives. I know a couple and they've been married a very, very long time. I mean, a very long time. But they're not really in love anymore. And so I asked the wife, who's my good friend, were you ever happy? And she said there were moments. And I always hoped that those moments would grow. But unfortunately, they did not. Why do people do this? Is it the height of optimism? Is it faith and hope? No, not really, though it may feel that way. It's actually a lot more reality-based than that. It's precedent. Why do I say that? We've seen people come back before. We've seen it happen with other couples. We've certainly seen it in plenty of movies and television shows. And we've even had it happen to us before. Somebody came back to us or we went back to them. So we hope, we hope that will happen to us this time too. So at the beginning, you mourn the fact that you're in this position right now, but you're not yet mourning the death of the relationship because you hope you won't have to. You hope you'll be getting back together with your beloved. If your beloved returns to you and you resolve your difficulties, perhaps the relationship can continue. Hopefully you will not continue with a relationship unless it's an emotionally healthy one. If the beloved does not come back, that's when your real grieving begins. That might be a few weeks, months, or even years after the breakup. And you'll have an even stronger grief reaction than you did immediately after the breakup because accepting that it's over, no matter how long that takes, is far more painful. But here's the secret of broken relationships. What I just said, accepting that it's over, no matter how long that takes, is far more painful. And it's also the beginning of the healing process. Because you've really given up on that relationship moving forward. When you're mourning a breakup, it's not uncommon for people to encourage you to begin dating again almost immediately. Well, we've talked about some things that people say when someone dies. Um, and so when you have a breakup with a relationship, 
People also say things that they should not say. There are other fish in the sea. You need to just get right back out there and date. You're not getting any younger. People don't want to legitimize your mourning because your beloved is still alive. They believe that mourning is only something we do for those who have died. They believe that your pain is not legitimate because it's not connected to death. Of course, they're wrong on all counts. Your mourning is legitimate and it is connected to death, just not a physical death, but an emotional death, a relationship death. You have suffered as great a loss as someone whose beloved has died. In both cases, it's a loss. The relationship with the beloved is over. And that's extremely painful when you're in love. Either way, it's the death of a relationship. Some people believe, and would like you to believe, that relationships are just a game. That when you've lost a relationship, you should get right back into the game. If you don't have deep feelings for the one you lost, you might be able to go out looking for a new man or a new woman or begin dating right away, but if you try dating immediately after losing someone you love, you'll never properly heal from your loss. You risk significant emotional damage that will prevent you from having a trusting, loving, healthy relationship in the future. After a breakup, people often think that they're being helpful or consoling you by playing the blame game. It's your fault he broke up with you. But if you just change, you might not get left next time. Or that no good SOB broke up with you? Well, yeah, he did. People think they're helping by using blame as a tool to encourage you or boost your ego, something they never do if you are mourning someone's death. Enter blame territory very carefully. It's healthy to look truthfully at you and your beloved strengths and weaknesses and good and bad behaviors. But don't let blame overshadow the validity of your mourning. It's okay to mourn the loss of someone who may not have been good for you or may have hurt you. It's just not okay to want to be with that person again. When you love unconditionally, that means that you might love someone it's not healthy for you to be with. Anybody out there ever been in a relationship like that? Oh, yeah. And you read about it all the time. He beats her and she stays with him. She has affairs and he stays with her. Why? Just because they're afraid to leave. There's nothing wrong with loving that person. Just do it from afar. There's everything wrong with actually having a relationship with that person. You can't help who you fall in love with. You can keep yourself from having a relationship with the wrong person. It's important to acknowledge how you feel and to mourn everyone you lose, no matter 
what the circumstances of the relationship. Because if you don't mourn them, you'll never recover from your grief and get past the relationship. So you need time. And you need a community. And you can't not do it by yourself. And we've talked about that so many times. You need people to talk to. You need friends who have gone through breakups. You need friends who have been divorced and are okay. You need people that you can trust. You need people that understand how you feel even though you're different from them. So a breakup of a relationship, you know, doesn't mean your life is over. Far from it. Breakup of a relationship can be your teacher. You can learn lessons, life lessons. So if there's a breakup, you should ask yourself the question, what did I do to contribute to this breakup? How could I have done things differently? You have to take some responsibility for this. It wasn't all his or her fault. You're at blame too. You don't want to feel that way, but you know it's the truth. You know that one person cannot ruin a relationship. It takes two people to ruin a relationship. And you're one of those people. So think about it. We're going to talk more about it after the first break that you have some responsibility. So you have to forgive yourself and him or her, and you have to apologize to him or her. That's the beginning of healing. That's the only way you'll be able to move on. We're going to take a little short break, and we'll be right back. Find out what makes the most successful people tick. Keep listening to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. 
VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. So, I hope you've been thinking about what we've been talking about, and that is your personal responsibility in whatever relationship breakup there was. That's an introduction to talking about divorce. I have a good friend. You're going to meet her in several weeks. Her name is Denisa Tova, and she's a mediator. She's a divorce mediator. And she got into it because of her own divorce, which she will tell you about. But I want to read you some of the things that she says in her book. She has a wonderful book called The Bedroom Elephant, A Guide to Successful Divorce. Doesn't seem possible, does it? Successful divorce. Well, she's going to come in a couple weeks and talk about it. But first she talks about her own relationship. She gives some of her um, her biography, and then she says, My marriage had reached the breaking point. It was clear that our best option was divorce. We managed to keep it civil and worked out our own financial and parenting agreements. The process was over with little conflict or fighting. It was a tough emotional transition for our children. We soon realized we would work together and co-parent as best we could, and our kids have coped fairly well because of it. While our daughter still gets upset and sad, about not having mommy and daddy in the same home, she knows we both love her very much and she accepts it. The most important thing to get is to give the children of divorced families as much stability and predictability as possible. And never, ever talk negatively about the other parent, she says. And I would add, why not? Because if your kid hears you talking bad about their mother, then they're going to talk bad about you to their mother. You must respect each other, says Denisa. So then she has um, a chapter that starts off with the title, What the Hell Was I Thinking?, I'm sure some of you are identifying with that. She tells you, she gives some vignettes. She says, I can't tell you how many times I've heard this. Colleen. 18 years ago, Colleen married Alan. He joined the army and Colleen became a military wife. She followed Alan from place to place, creating a home everywhere they went and raising their two kids. Last week, Alan dropped a D-bomb, you know what that is, and asked Colleen for a divorce. He couldn't have timed it any worse. As a military spouse, you're only eligible for lifetime health benefits 
if your marriage overlaps 20 years of his or her time on active duty. Her 18, not 20, 18 years as a dutiful spouse counted for nothing. Rules are rules, and Colleen will lose those benefits. Next vignette, Janet. Janet was married to Bill for what seems like forever, her own words. Next month would have been their 29th anniversary, the date when they decided on their future and divided their roles. Bill went to law school while Janet was a stay-at-home mom, cooking, raising the kids, and cleaning the house. When the kids were grown and gone, Bill would retire and they'd spend their sunset years together. Happy, financially secure, and comfortable together. What a crock of shit, Janet told me. Now I'm 54, instead of looking forward to retirement, I have to think about building a career from scratch. How many of you ladies have been in that situation? where you thought you were settled, where you thought it was all going to work. You had a plan. And one fine day, for whatever reason, maybe he found somebody half as old as you. Who knows? Relationships blow up for all kinds of reasons. And then she was all alone, poor Janet. She had to think about building a career from scratch. Now here's a story about Tom. Tom is an elementary school teacher who married Barb 22 years ago. Barb is a dental hygienist who is very much at ease with numbers, or so she claimed. Tom left most of the financial decisions up to his wife. So when Barb suddenly asked for a divorce because, quote, she wanted to find herself, unquote. You've heard that before, right? Tom panicked. He was utterly unprepared. What did they own? What did they owe? How would it impact him financially? He had absolutely no idea. You know, it's interesting that um, used to be that the men were the money people. They would pay the bills. They would make sure there was enough money for all of the necessities in the house. And uh, the women would spend it and raise the kids. Now, the millennial generation, it's much more equalized. So both of them cook. Both of them do the laundry. And both of them share the financial responsibilities of the home. They work, they have jobs. Some couples, you know, have separate bank accounts. Some couples put it all together in one bank account. I don't know which way is right. I just know what I do and what other people do. But you got to feel terrible for poor Tom because he's clueless, just clueless. Linda, 15 years ago, 
Linda had a solid career in nursing. Then she met Jake and they got married. They had three kids, two with learning disabilities. They decided that Linda would homeschool them. So instead of to returning to her career as a nurse, she stayed at home with her boys. Now they're getting divorced. After 15 years out of the workforce, Linda can't imagine how to put her career, her life, and her emotions back together. You've been there, right? Yes, you have, some of you. It doesn't matter what your story is. The bottom line is that you are here now and will have to assume financial responsibility for the rest of your life. So what the hell do I do now? It's simple. That doesn't mean it's easy. Stop the pity party and get into the driver's seat. That's what my friend Denisa says. Smell the reality and rise above the blame game. Stop being a sucker. You're definitely a sucker if you're becoming consumed by the idea that your spouse is some evil financial genius hiding assets in an offshore bank. Don't let your anger drive you to crazy decisions, such as spending thousands of dollars on forensic accountants to look for millions that aren't there. The absolutely most important thing for you to do is to keep your emotions in check as you negotiate your financial settlement. Of course you're mad. You have a right to be mad. Of course you're in a crappy situation. And of course your spouse is a jerk. That doesn't matter. The money matters. Well, you've fallen out of love. Okay? Happens all the time. She says, stop the pity party. Get into the driver's seat. Then she talks about um, the title of her book, The Elephant in the, in the Room. She says, the first elephant is your home. You got to decide what you're going to do about your home. She says, there's three possibilities. You buy him out. He buys you out. Or you sell the house and you split the proceeds. That's what it is. That's what you do. And people work it out. Differently, I don't think there's a right or wrong way. Another elephant in the room is retirement accounts. What do you do with those? Do you split the money? Do you keep your own? You know, if you've invested money in the, in the bank or in IRAs or in uh, Roth IRAs or, or in pension funds and and they're yours, and um, he's not a beneficiary, she's not a beneficiary. So what do you do when you get divorced? Well, that's a tough decision. She's going to talk more about that in several weeks. But it is an elephant that nobody wants to talk about. But there that elephant is, and there that home is lying right down on the table. She talks about life insurance. Don't be exposed. It's important. 
Gotta do something. You know, you gotta divide your debt. You have to find a way to divide your debt. And and in a lot of instances, that depends on the state in which you live. So then she talks about different ways to um, fix this. As long as you know you're going to be divorced, you're not getting back together again. So how do you get help? Well, you go to a lawyer, that's one possibility. Or you go to a mediator, that's another possibility. Or you do some combination of the two. She says some people don't go to lawyers. They just let the lawyers, they, they appoint a lawyer and they let the lawyers decide what's going to be themselves. Denise says that's a terrible idea because lawyers don't really care about you. They care about prolonging this as long as possible because they're charging you $350 or $500 an hour. They don't care how long it takes. And finally, you have to worry about your kids. How are you going to treat your kids? Uh, as, as she said before, don't ever say anything bad about the other parent. It's not nice. And if you talk bad about them, they'll talk bad about you. She has a list of book suggestions concerning children and divorce. So, again, the name of the book is The Bedroom Elephant, published in 2013 by Denisa Tova, T-O-V-A. So if you're interested, I urge you to, um, to take a look. But you know, divorce does not always have to end angry. It does not always have to end angry. I'm going to read you a letter that a divorced wife wrote. Her husband was a rabbi, a very famous rabbi. They got divorced four or five years ago. And as he says, my former wife and I have remained very close. We have had the most amicable of divorces. A friend of hers recently told her he was contemplating divorce and asked her advice from the other side. Her first quick answer was simple, don't. When he pressed further, she gave an answer so wise and insightful that I asked her permission to post it for the benefit of others. Before I read you her letter, I want to return to the topic of kids. I'm divorced. I have four kids. Let me tell you something. It's not good. It's not easy. It hurts. They blame one or both of the parents. And that blame sometimes lasts for years and years and years. 
And sometimes your kids don't talk to you after a divorce. That happened to me. It's getting much better. One of my sons, now I have four kids, so one of my sons now, who's also a rabbi, calls me twice a week to ask me what to do about certain situations. The other kids don't call so much. I still love them. I just wish they'd grow up and get it, but I have no control over them. So you have to take your kids into consideration if you're considering a divorce. You have to plan out a strategy. You know, it's interesting, a lot of my religious school students um, are the children of divorced families. And so, you know the deal. Uh, four days a week they live with one parent and three days a week they live with another parent. Or they'll uh, live an entire week with one and uh, the next week with the other. Or they'll split weekends. Or one of them will get holidays. So there are all kinds of possibilities. All I'm saying, and this is from very painful personal experience, is that if you're considering a divorce, and it may be a good thing that you're considering a divorce, you have to worry about your kids. You have to worry about not passing on the anger that you may have for each other down to the next generation. Because if you pass on that anger, I will guarantee you, your grandchildren will not be happy. You gotta stop the cycle of anger. You gotta stop the, the cycle of blame. We're gonna take a break and then I'm gonna read this letter. It has a happy ending, sort of. We'll talk some more. I'll be right back. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. When you're wandering after a life loss, you're really wandering in two directions at the same time. Part of you wants to go back, and part of you wants to go forward. That was also true of the Israelites when they were wandering in the desert with Moses. They didn't want to go back to being slaves, of course, but they did want to go back to the familiarity of home in Egypt. It was predictable and known, and they were afraid, like everyone is, of the unknown. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, A GPS for Grief and Healing, available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Believe it or not, the Bible talks a lot about grief and healing and can be a powerful source for us to move forward. For example, after Moses led the Israelites out of Egypt where they'd been slaves, they wandered in the desert for 40 years before God would let them into the promised land. God only wanted those who'd been born free, who'd never known slavery, to enter Israel. Those who had been slaves had to die out before their descendants would be allowed to enter the Promised Land. Find out more in Rabbi Mel Glazer's award-winning book, And God Created Hope. Available at Amazon and in Kindle format. Success starts here. 
VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. It's your world. You are listening to From Morning to Morning. To find out more about our program, visit GriefOK.com. Again, that's GriefOK.com. Now, back to From Morning to Morning. Hi, we're back. So we've been talking about relationship breakups during the first part of the show, and then we started to talk about the ultimate relationship breakup, namely divorce. And I promised you that I would read you a wonderful letter that's going to bring tears to your eyes, whether you're divorced or not. I'll start over. The, the husband is a rabbi, and he and his wife divorced five years ago. I don't know why. It doesn't matter why, but they did. So he writes, My former wife and I have remained very close. We have had the most amicable of divorces. A friend of hers recently told her he was contemplating divorce and asked her advice from the other side. Her first quick answer was simple, don't. When he pressed further, she gave an answer so wise and insightful that I asked her permission to post it for the benefit of others. She agreed, and here is the letter that his divorced wife wrote. Divorce is a hard path, a long, circuitous journey that is not something you can control. You open the door and walk through it, thinking you will go to destination X, only to find out that it was just an illusion. The destination X is only visible from inside the marriage, and that once you leave, you not only cannot find it, but you start to realize it probably never existed at all. I lived alone, she says, for 10 years, between the ages of 17 and 27, before getting married. I thought, okay, I can do this. I'd rather be alone than be in a marriage that isn't working, that's irrevocably broken. And I have no regrets over that, For me, it was not a choice. So that sort of gives you a hint about why they're not married anymore. However, being alone after being married for so long is not the same. And it's not the same to be alone at 45 or 65 as it is to be alone in your early 20s when everyone is alone. It's a world of couples at our age. Even the divorcees and the widowers are all looking to recouple. There is an intense emphasis on finding a new mate as quickly as possible. The pressure can be extreme, and your married friends look at you like you have leprosy. It threatens their worldview for you to divorce. It threatens their marriage. 
What I'm trying to say is that everything changes in ways you can't imagine or anticipate. Everything, everything, everything. And there are some nasty little secrets that no one tells you, but I will right now. Here's a doozy. When you leave your marriage in terms of romantic relationships, you begin to behave as if you were still the age when you met your spouse. Now, I have to tell you, that was a shock to me. She's absolutely right. When I got divorced, I got younger all of a sudden. I started looking for younger women. That's just the way it is. That's what she says. And, and I agree with her. Not even when you were married, but when you met. You get involved in things you should have outgrown years ago, decades. And you don't realize it until it's too late. I'm not even sure that my telling you can save you from this fate. Because the thing is, it's a little like being an addict. When an addict becomes sober emotionally, they're the age they were when they started using. Well, marriage is a bit like that. It changes your way of thinking so drastically without you realizing it that you truly have nothing else to grasp onto once you walk out that door. And in order to survive, you return to the last thing you knew when you were alone. I would add to that that I know a lot of cases, people get divorced and they, um, they marry their childhood sweetheart because they felt comfortable together. And now that they're divorced, they go back where it was safe. Okay, she continues. Think about it and look around you. How many men do you know who ended up with young women, women more or less the same age as their first wives when they met them? And the same is now true for women who are commonly called cougars. The problem, of course, is that sooner or later you wake up and realize you have less in common with these replacements than you thought you did. And now, if you were foolish enough to rush into getting remarried, as many do in the first three years or after a divorce, you are stuck in a worse situation than the first one. Don't get me wrong. It can work out, and sometimes it does. But oftentimes it's a painful journey, and you can't handle being alone for a long time, long enough to figure yourself out, to understand who you are apart from your marital relationship, to find yourself again, which really can and should take years then all you will do is hurt a lot of people, including yourself and the people you love most in the world. Change partners and go underground again. If you can stomach the loneliness, extreme and painful at times, then you have a chance.
Only then do you have a real chance to grow, to change, to learn who you are, why you ended up where you did, and how you came to be there and where you want to go. And I would add, once again, I keep saying this, divorce is a teacher. You learn from this painful loss, just as you learn from the loss of a loved one. This is the loss of a loved one. Some humorists say, death is better than divorce, because death, they don't come back. Divorce, you see them at family functions all the time. So she continues, all of it, the best of it, the worst of it, and everything in between. You begin to think in a new way, free of the paradigms and mind prisons that had to be created in order to keep a broken marriage functioning. You learn to see with different parts of your brain, of your life, even parts you arrogantly thought you were already using. You find them anew and realize they're dusty and old and in need of polishing and repair. You tucked them away long ago. You had to. There was no room for them in that relationship. On and on it goes. Divorce is a tearing apart of togetherness. It is a rendering, a ripping of all things built to keep you comfortable and safe. It is a destruction of together dreams, forever dreams, family dreams, love dreams. You cannot leave a marriage without doing violence to all those things, no matter how amicable the divorce. Even the word divorce, it's a cleaver, it's a knife, a great big bloody butcher knife that slices through the most, even the most connected hearts. There's no way around that. It's why all the mythology of divorce is what it is, because there is truth in those myths. When you walk out the door, which may well be the bravest moment of your life, you are suddenly at sea, not on a path. The earth ceases to be solid beneath your feet, and you are drowning in quicksand. You thought you would fly, but you sink. And the only way you will survive is if you intuit that you must be still, and the universe begins to solidify around you once again. Only then can you begin to move. I care too much not to warn you. You cannot see what lies beyond the frame around the door that is the exit. It's not possible. It is a death. And just like life's death, you are not permitted to see beyond the threshold. But I have been here for the past year. And I can tell you it looks nothing like it does from inside the threshold. 
It is a foreign, inhospitable, dangerous journey, one that holds infinite, endless gifts for the ones who are brave enough to continue on and will eat alive those who misstep or throw them instantly back in through a different door with a different partner. The goal of divorce should not be to be with someone else. There is no one else, not yet, because in order for there to be anyone else, first you have to recreate yourself. And that, as you know, is a task only for the bravest of heart. It takes stamina, fortitude, faith, trust, belief, and not a small measure of complete insanity. It takes time to forge a new suit of armor made from better materials, something new, something more flexible, breathable, fire resistant, softer, easier, more comfortable. It takes time to regrow bones and skin and sinew and soul. It takes courage not to thrash about in the quicksand. It takes a willingness to surrender completely to every weakness inside yourself. To forgive, 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 and to let go. Only then do you really have a chance. Only then can you begin to walk towards a new place, a better place. Only then will you know that you have done the right thing. It's been a year since I left. I'm coming to that new place, that better place. I know at least for me I did the right thing. Good luck, my friend. Whatever you choose, I wish you love. Wow. What a poignant, painful, passionate, and loving, hopeful letter. If you'd like a copy of this, by the way, send me an email to rabbimel at griefok.com, rabbimel at griefok.com, and I'll be happy to uh, email you a copy of this wonderful, wonderful letter. Does that mean she's happy she got divorced? Well, maybe. Maybe. I don't know. But she wishes you luck, and so do I. Next week, I'm going to have a, a guest who's going to go back to a topic that we talked about last week, uh, grieving and how men grieve and how women grieve. My guest last week uh, wrote a book about it. My guest this coming week wrote the research, did the research, and wrote the intellectual report, the educational report with the results. So, my friends, thanks for listening. From morning to morning with Rabbi Mel Glazer, I'll see you next week. Good night. Thank you again for joining Rabbi Mel Glazer for From Morning to Morning. Please tune in again next Thursday at 8 p.m. Eastern Time and 5 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. We're wishing you strength and hope in the next week.